0: Welcome to Garden Church Podcasts. We are in a series called Courageous Orthodoxy, Convictions for Resilient Faith. And for us at this time, we are looking at the foundations of Christian belief. We are trying to encourage you as followers of Jesus to live out of a robust theology. We're hoping that you would be encouraged by this and that you will ground your faith in the word of God and you will live a vibrant life in the way of Jesus. Hope this empowers you and encourages you in your faith. All right, grab a Bible. How many of you got a Bible? Put your Bible in the, in the air. If you brought your Bible, I'm going to... Ch- yeah, more up. All right, if you need one, raise your hand. We got some Bibles we can give you. If you don't have a physical Bible, we'll give you one as a gift. We want you to bring some Bibles so you're not just bringing idols in, in your pockets. So we got some. <clears throat> oh, gosh. Wow. You're, uh, you're offended by that? <laughs> There's this thing where John the Baptist in the gospel of Luke, oh, I'm already here. He says something like, um, he says something like, uh, the ax is that like the winnowing fork is in the hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the weak in the barn and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Ah, that's Luke chapter three. That's a little more offensive than don't bring your idols. Okay, so Mark chapter four, Mark chapter four, the next chapter, next chapter Mark chapter four, I'm going to give you some summary statements, okay? Sorry, did I say Mark four? Luke chapter four, Luke. Luke chapter four, Luke. Anyone watch Mandalorian season three, episode one? Just shove hands for Star Wars friends. I'm always going to be distracted in the Gospel of Luke. Sorry about that. All right, Luke chapter four. Um, We're going to talk today on answering the question, what is the Gospel? Because what I believe is most of us, if we grew up in the church, we don't know what the gospel is. Or if we do, it's not enough. It's, a, it's not the whole picture. It's a distorted version of it. So I'm going to address this issue. We're in this courageous orthodoxy series, and we need to know what Jesus meant by the gospel. So I'm going to give you some summary statements, okay? So just to frame this in the Bible, and then I'm going to talk about um, what Jesus meant by the gospel today. And then we're going to land, and we'll do some prayer, and then we'll go out and we'll all get Beals or Himalayan Grill or Golden Road, depending on what you want today. Just tip 30%. So Luke chapter 4, uh, verse... Uh 18. So this is the summary teaching for the gospel of Luke on the, the message of Jesus. It says this. It says Jesus was in a synagogue, he grabs the, the scroll with the, the book of Isaiah, as we would call it, and he reads from Isaiah 61. And this is what he does. He says this. He stands up and in a smaller setting, it'd be like one of you, one row. You come over here and he says, I'm sorry for the live streamers. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, whenever you read a section in the New Testament that's referencing the Old Testament, you need to go back and t- check out the whole, the whole passage. This is Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 is announcing the day of the Lord. What was the day of the Lord? Well, if you were in the 11 o'clock last week, you don't know. Um, But it's referring to the age to come, okay, which I'll I'll summarize in just a second. Jesus got done reading that. He got done reading that. And then in the story, he he didn't find a, a beautiful lady like this woman right here, my wife right here. But he sat down and he said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. they would have been so offended. The next passage is about the day of vengeance. And Jesus stops, sits down, he says, the age to come is fulfilled. And he uses Isaiah 61, which is this idea of what God will do in human history to restore all things. And he says it's fulfilled. That's Luke's version of it, Okay, So later on in the Gospel of Luke, he'll summarize that Jesus went out proclaiming in your Bible or the NIV, will say the good news. Other translations of the word good news is the, the Greek word that we translate to gospel. So Jesus went around proclaiming the gospel. Go to Matthew chapter four. Let me hear those pages flap. Matthew chapter four, um, verse, so you guys read that this week, Matthew four, because we're reading the New Testament in 40 days. In Matthew chapter four, here's Matthew summary Of the ministry of Jesus, it's both the message and ministry. This is where it says in verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among them. Go to Mark chapter one. We were there last week. Mark chapter one, it says this in verse 15. I'm sorry, we'll start with 14. After John was put into prison, I'll wait for you. I'm going to be patient for my brothers and sisters that are that are just humbly bringing their Bibles and just moving their hands to find this, not relying on the Satan's technology. <laughs> I just, I'm just kidding. I, just, I got it right here. Relax, 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 relax. Mark chapter 1, it says this. Uh, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And this is what Mark summarizes as the entire teaching of Jesus in one verse. You ready? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. When Jesus, when the authors of the gospels, let me just say this real quick because some of you are new to this. You're like gospel, gospels. Okay, the word gospel is translated, translated from Greek to good news. So the literal word is good news. So When we have the Gospels, plural, we're referring to the biographies about Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection from the perspective of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You guys with me? So there's the Gospels in the New Testament, and then there's the Gospel, which is the summary, this word that is used to summarize the ministry of Jesus. So when Jesus, when the authors of the Gospels describe Jesus proclaiming the gospel they're referring to something now if you grew up in the church you have a vague for most of the most of us have a vague idea of what the gospel is and most of us have been taught the gospel of salvation let me explain this there's a few versions of the gospels and i want to understand and answer the question what what was the gospel according to jesus right so before i answer that question let me say this um First of all, the gospel uh, of salvation had this idea in it, and it's what I came into, right? So I I understood that the, the primary purpose of Christianity was going around and telling people that they're going to hell unless they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. The gospel that I was taught was the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and now we have life, we have access to life in heaven. In other words, say a prayer, believe that Jesus is Lord, give your life to Jesus, and then when you die, you go to heaven. How many of you have heard this gospel before? And that's part of it, that is true. There's a, there's a reality to that, but it's not the gospel of Jesus. You know, there's this conversation that, that the, o- the only good news is what happens when you die. That sucks, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, don't mean to offend anyone. It's not, that's not the whole point. Okay, so stay with me. So maybe like for me, so I came into this going, oh my gosh, I got, I got like terrified. Let me just say, hell is real. Oh no. Some of you are like, yeah, preach it. Well, Yes. The Old Testament makes it clear that there's two paths in this life. You can walk the path of wisdom, the path of God, which leads to life, or the path of destruction and foolishness, which leads to death and separation from God. In the New Testament, our concept of hell, which has been primarily transformed by medieval times and the, the time where there's a pitchfork and a devil and torture and all this stuff. This phrase is in the New Testament called the weeping and, and gnashing of teeth, which is a symbol of judgment. And the word for hell is Gehenna in the Greek, which was a literal trash dump outside of the walls in Jerusalem, which was a literal place that you could see and visit if you want to go today, where dogs would be eating the trash and there'd be ongoing fire. And it was a symbol of judgment of life outside of God. We get to Revelation. God creates a space out of his grace for people who reject God to live for eternity, rejecting God that's hell. That's like a lot of theology in about 30 seconds. You're welcome for that. My point is we have, we can experience heaven on earth here and now, and we can experience hell on earth here and now. And it's a place in the future. Both are realities. Okay, moving on. I'm just sweeping all the bad theology out the room. Let's keep going. Gospel of salvation, Primary thing you do is convince people to, that they're going to go to heaven when they die if they accept Jesus. That's not the, the gospel of Jesus. That's not what he was saying good news was. That, that, why would he say that that's good news? There's so much more because when you read the New Testament, there's lots of phrases attached. The gospel of the kingdom. So what's, oh, but there's other gospels. Can we just, can we get the rest of the bad theology out real quick? Just because I know um, we all need help with that. For example, in, in Southern California, we have the gospel of self. The gospel of self-help. Like, like, Jesus comes to give you the best life now. Yeah, your life is going to be healthy and prosperous. You're going to get a Tesla and you're going to have multiple (laughs) streams of income and you're going to come to church and it's going to be convenient and cozy and easy. There's going to be a place for all ages and it's not going to be challenging in any way. pastor's going to be funny and smart, a little convicting, but not too much. It's the gospel of self. (laughs) None of this idolatry talk on the phone stuff. Don't get me that bad. The point is we've made the gospel, the message, and even the image of Jesus into our into our own image to, to almost stamp idolatry as part of Christianity. In the US, we have other forms. So there's the prosperity gospel. There, there's that version where the gospel is convenient and comfortable. So we, we come to church and we're fed, right? We want to be fed. We don't know how to feed ourselves. We have the professionals do it. We don't know how to disciple our kids. We have the professional volunteers do it. (laughs) And and we don't recognize that there's this gospel of self, this gospel of consumerism, this prosperity gospel has infiltrated our church. And it's not the message that Jesus taught. It seems like the American gospel is an accessory to the American dream. God's going to give me a house, a couple of cars, some great friends that look, vote, talk like me. Oh, in the American gospel, we witnessed, you know, in the last election cycle, and we, we witnessed it every election cycle, more so the last couple of years, and then this 2024, I know it's coming, where we think that the gospel and the American uh, national, the nationalism, it's, it's the nationalistic gospel. Put our guy in office. And, and, then, and then the nation will be reformed and restored like the Old Testament. If Jesus wanted to do that, he would have done that 2,000 years ago. And am like, yeah, I'll get him, Darren. There's also a woke gospel. We're like, it's all justice. And hear me, God is for justice. You do not get me wrong, biblical justice. But what, what it's become today is not what God intended. So whether you align to the left or to the right or anything in between or beyond that in different quadrants, the gospel is none of those things. So what is it? Let's, let's go to Jesus' message. <clears throat> what is the gospel according to Jesus? Mark chapter one, verse 15. I'm just going to read that one more time. It says, Uh, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So last week, you missed it. So lean in for a second. I'm going to summarize a 45-minute talk um, to, to give you a perspective of what Jesus meant by this message, okay? When Jesus announced the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, he first says the time has come. Every single Jewish boy and girl in the first century would have known exactly what time he meant. It was prophesied in the Old Testament by a whole bunch of people, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, Micah, Obadiah, Zechariah, Malachi, Amos, and all the other prophets promised a day in history when God would restore Israel and the world like he did in Exodus, the second book of the Bible. That God would bring a movement, and the phrase they used was the day of the Lord or the age to come. And that time would be marked by very specific things according to the Old Testament, including uh, the, the age to come would be marked by peace and joy and shalom and justice and healing and the resurrection of the dead. New hearts being given to his people. New spirits be given to his people. The law of the Lord would be in their mind. The Holy Spirit would fall on all people. And, it, and they prophesied in Daniel that the, God's kingdom would reign over all other kingdoms. So when Jesus says the time has come, That's what people were expecting. Are you with me? In other words, when Jesus announces the gospel, um, he's announcing the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of scripture, the summary of the biblical story and everything leading up to it in in the embodiment of his presence. So the gospel is the summary of the entire biblical story in Christ. Okay, you good? It's a lot. All right. Some of you are like, okay, but what about the tracks I pass out about telling people about health? Just stay with me, okay? There's a place for that, but it's not the whole picture. What about the consumer gospel that makes me feel good about God, giving God 10% and I get to keep 90% for myself? You're going to be ruined by the end of the sermon. Because if you think that's how he wants to you to live your life, it's an American version of the gospel of Jesus. And you're going to need to respond. And there's only two responses to the gospel, which I'll get to at the very end. So just hold out for one moment. <clears throat> the next phrase that Jesus uses is he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. All right, there's two parts to this one, This, so just stay with me. There's no way around it. When Jesus announces the gospel, it's almost always in reference to God's kingdom. So the good news or... uh or the good news of Jesus, or the gospel has something to do with the kingdom of God. Now, if you've come to our church, you hear me talk about this, because I had a theological awakening to this idea, because I grew up in the church, and I had no idea. I'd never heard the phrase, the kingdom of God, ever in church. And there I was in Bible college, and they're like, the message of Jesus, the primary message is the kingdom of God. I'm like, how did they lie to me all these years? I thought it was love, sincerely. I thought that's all it is. And then they're like, no. It's about God's kingdom. I'm like, what is God's kingdom? So the the question I want to answer is, what is God's kingdom? So stay with me. First of all, you need to hear this. The kingdom of God is first an announcement. It's a proclamation. It's a declaration, an announcement about something that has happened. Okay? It's not first about your life. It's not first about the implications for your life. It's news about something that has transpired in history, in reality, and it's good news. So Jesus went, anou- uh, went around announcing something and he was announcing the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? He was announcing that God is in charge. God's kingdom is here. God's reign and sovereign rule is now at hand. God, so the kingdom of God has God's sovereign rule and reign. It's what life looks like when he's in charge. It's, and you could go, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple of things that you need to work out. You have to work out your view of God and you have to work out what his desires and intentions are. I love what Dallas Willard said. He says, God's own kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will where what he wants done is done. So it's what life looks like when God's in charge and what he desires, what he intends, becomes reality. Are you with me? So um, your view of God needs to be realigned to a healthy theology of what God's like in order for this to be good news, right? Because if you think God's angry and judgmental, He's just waiting to judge you and write write a ticket because you got it wrong. He's holding out. It's gonna mess up your idea of wanting to align to God's will, right? So when Jesus says, hey, uh, he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's essentially saying, we are praying God's reality here now and we are hoping, participating, working, praying in partnership with God for God's way of life to be here like it is in heaven, where, where his will is, is always happening. And at the same time, he's saying there are places in your life, in your communities, in your neighborhoods, around the world, where God's will, his desire, his intent, his vision for earth is not yet realized. So we work with him to see that come into reality. Are you with me? So this is what Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God—that God is now in charge—and it's really good news. And I was thinking about this when uh, how to how to teach this because I was thinking about what that's like. What does it mean for God to be in charge? Like I feel like the best illustrations come up with my parenting, right? Because I have a nine-year-old who is in kids' church, um, and you know he's an amazing kid. Ezra's amazing. I love him. He's a, he loves Jesus so far. He loves us. <clears throat> But there, there's a clear line between my effective will being reality in his life and then his autonomy of self pressing against that. And any parent understands this. Like when I'm saying, hey, bud, you can't do that. And he's frustrated and angry and mad. I'm like, "I." Ha- there are times where I sit him down and go, bud, do you know that my, my desire, my like when I think of you, all I want is good for you. All I want is your absolute best. And that is a true statement. That is absolutely true of me as a father. That's what I want. And so when he hears a no about something, it's the will of his father. He doesn't necessarily see that as a good thing, but it is good because that way leads to a better life. And the truth is that that's true for God. When we, when we hear a no about our sexuality being waiting, to have sex for marriage. We might not feel that that's good in the moment when we're not married, but actually it's the, it's the environment for our being to flourish in the gift of what sexual intimacy is. So God's will in that situation, his desire for you is good, but it might not feel good. Does that make sense? Yes. And just multiply this in a million different ways and that's what we're getting at. That Jesus comes onto the scene and says, look, life is really bad without God. Good news. He's now here and in charge. And for some of us, like, yes, that's what we need. Are you guys good? So this is what we're getting at, that Jesus preaches that God's kingdom is available. I'm sorry, that God's way of life organized around the principles of heaven, which are full of beauty and freedom and love and joy and peace and shalom. And this created order is now a reality. And then he goes on to say, he goes, it's at hand. So he says, in the Greek, it's it's this idea of uh, an apple or fruit being ripe, ready to be picked off of, or plucked off of a tree. That that reality of God's good and desirable kingdom is not only uh, here, but it's available for you to experience right now. Right? The kingdom of God at hand, it's not the kingdom of God is an idea you can disagree with. The gospel is announced. The gospel, the word gospel, the Greek word, was used by the Romans first, before it was written in the New Testament, to describe what happened when Caesar conquered a territory and uh, took over a new territory with military power and announced to the people of that territory, good news, gospel, you have a new emperor. Yes, he might enslave you with taxation, Yes, we conquered all of your army and we destroyed you with power and dominance, but good news, you have a new emperor. That is true. That's what the gospel, the word gospel was used for. So Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, good news, God's in charge. He is available. And in the same way that you don't debate Rome's presence as they occupy your city, it's not like this subject, like I don't really feel like this is my king, not my king. you'd be executed. In the same way you don't debate the historical reality of what's taking place, Jesus is saying you can't debate the historical reality of God now invading earth and becoming king. Because what does he do next? He says it's at hand. In other words, he says the gospel is an invitation. So the kingdom of God is an invitation. It's not just about proclaiming. It's about demonstrating over and over again. Jesus will demonstrate the kingdom of God. He will act as if God's in charge. So he'll forgive sins. He'll cast out demons. Will you me my water, babe? <coughs> he'll, um, he'll include outsiders that were once, uh, no, I meant we'll make it worse, sorry. Sorry, I, I'm getting over losing my voice this week. My wife said it was from the Lord. I said it was from the devil. Um. <laughs> Just kidding. So the kingdom of God is, is an invitation. The kingdom of God, you could say, is a reality to be experienced. So the gospel, as I would define it, is first an announcement. Second, it's an invitation to experience God's abundant life here and now. If the gospel has something to do with the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? I have to illustrate it. <clears throat> Some of you have been here. I've illustrated it in the past. And you'll have to forgive me for using an old illustration. But to be, to be honest... I tried to figure out something better, and I just didn't have anything better. I was going to use memes or something, and that didn't work. So I need two volunteers. We're going to come back to this illustration in a second. Two volunteers who will listen to a song, write down what it means, or like describe it in your own words, and that's all you have to do. You're not going to stand up here and read. You're just going to do it. So you have, you also have to have not heard the song or done this illustration. So raise your hand. I need two volunteers. Okay, one's over there. Well, Maybe closer. Let's go. Yeah, we'll go you. Sorry. Uh, I'm just going to pick people. Um, all right. Use the other piece of paper on this and um, play this song from the beginning. Um, it should work. If not, just find the song on your phone and go for it. Um, there's another piece of paper. You can use that. You you don't need to look at That's the first service. Um, all right. Someone who, okay. You're, I'll, I'll do you. Come here. Um, Amanda. Okay, you get my phone. So this is a dangerous task. Don't look at anything. Okay, so um, just, you know. Just, just my prayer thoughts and judgment, text to my wife. Um, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. Uh, but listen to that song. You got my AirPods. I cleaned them out um, before the first service, not after the second. or at, Not after the first, sorry. <laughs> yeah, someone else's. Okay, we're going we're gonna to illustrate what I mean in a second. But I want to make a point, right? Because oftentimes, the church really struggles to talk about the gospel. Like, we're good at, I'm sorry. We're good at talking about the gospel. We're really bad at demonstrating the gospel. And we're really good, I think, at, at proclaiming a gospel that is about transaction, like believe this thing and then go to heaven when you die. But this idea of the kingdom, we've really, it's not something we've done well or, or experienced well. But wh- what I mean that the gospel has to be experienced is that when you read the gospels, you see that Jesus doesn't just talk about the gospel. He demonstrates it over and over again. So if you follow Jesus in the gospels, what you see is story after story, people encounter the kingdom of God. Like they encounter good news embodied in Jesus. So when, when Jesus went around, he wasn't like, okay, guys, God's in charge. Okay. I got this, I got this book and uh, I want you to memorize this book. And there's some really good truths in here. And you just got to change the way you live and like really get good at this book. And then we're going to create circles, and we're going to get groups together, and we're going to worship, and then we're going to talk about a book and read the book, which is a cool book. And the book I'm talking about, this one wasn't around when Jesus was around. Um, but And it's really good news. And it's kind of like, oh, man, uh, you're going to love it. It's so good. You're going to love the future. It's going to be awesome. In fact, I'm going to tell you about how awesome it is. There's like some really good points I have to make. Here are the points. Here's a PowerPoint real quick of those good points with some references, some dead people, and like how, oh my gosh, it's awesome. That's what it's like. That's what it's like for the world to hear Christians talk about Jesus and not embody the life of Jesus. Jesus went around, sick people got healed. Deaf people could hear, blind people could see. Outsiders were welcomed as insiders, the religious. Those who showed up to church or the gatherings, the synagogue, had a uh, spiritual awakening. They woke up to God and life with God. Um, the people that were broken experienced wholeness. People that were sinners were forgiven of sin. Those that were anxious were given peace. The kingdom of God was always experienced, which is why... Um, for those of us that are ahead in our New Testament reading plan, for those of us that are on like, I don't know, day 20 or something like that, just saying, not that I'm holier than you. Um, just kidding, I'm not on day 20. But I was reading in Corinthians today, and it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, when Paul writes about the kingdom of God, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. <clears throat> in other words, the gospel has to be embodied. It has to be encountered. It has to be a window into the life of God where you experience Jesus. Guys, I believe that the word of God is so powerful and it will transform your lives. And yes, we need to memorize scripture. Yes, we need to practice the way of Jesus. But you also need to encounter God. You need to surrender to him. Not encounter God on your own terms. Sometimes you need to follow him when he leads you down a path that requires you to let go and surrender all. And see, The problem with Christianity is we've not embodied this gospel. We've made the gospel like this, this checklist, like just accept him and then live your merry way. And so on the outside, looking in, people are like, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Look at the church. But our testimony should be to this world, I want to be like Jesus. Look at the church. And the reason it's been distorted, where Gandhi Gandhi himself said at one point, I would be a Christian if it weren't for Christians. The greatest testimony against us is us. The greatest testimony against the risen Jesus is the church. And that's never been the way it's been designed. And I think part of the problem is we've missed the gospel. We focus on right doctrine, which I believe in right doctrine, but we've missed the awakening to the reality of Jesus that we must experience him ourselves. I love what NT Wright says when he summarizes the gospel. He says this, he says we often think of gospel as part as the part that brings the forgiveness of sins. And of course, that's that is part of the idea, but gospel is the announcement that everything has changed in the coming of Jesus. And it leads us to a new kind of living, right? It is a kingdom of God lifestyle, listen to this, with allegiance to a king as the ultimate restorer. We are as workers to reflect the, that good news and a new way of life in a world that is seeking answers in profoundly short-sighted ways rather than in the way of Jesus. So we've missed this story of being stewards of the kingdom reality here and now where we become the vessels for joy and peace and life and resurrection, that not only do we believe that that happened, but we believe it's happening now and we make it available to others through the way we live. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus, the restoration of Eden in this present moment where the age to come ushers in, is brought in through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and now through the church and the power of the Holy Spirit, we now live in this present age where there's death and destruction and poverty and pain bringing forth eternal life, the kingdom. This is what Jesus is referring to. And this is good news. But even as I talk, I realize that some of you are going to get it and some of you won't. And I used to be frustrated by that. But I realized in the scriptures, Jesus, he's okay with it. He'll preach sermons about the kingdom of God. And at the end of these epic sermons, he'll be like, it's for those that have ears to hear and eyes to see, which is a Greek way of saying, some of you are going to get it and some of you aren't. And then he just walks away. There's no app to help. And, that, and that's what the gospel is. Let me explain this. You see, the gospel is like a seed planted, just like the kingdom. And it's like God gives you a seed. Like in this moment, God's stirring something in your heart, some of you. He's, he's bringing to mind, the spirit of God is bringing to mind something in your your heart. He's awakening you to something. He's, he's giving you new information. And it's like a seed that he gives you. And the question that you have, the question that you must answer, what, what unfortunately is predetermined in some ways by your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus is what you do with the seed. Do you take it and put it in your pocket and let it be a seed? Or do you bury it in the ground and steward the life, the word that God gave you so that it can be cultivated into a hundredfold crop? That's determined upon how you view the role you play in the kingdom of God. Are you with me? I often think the church talks about Jesus like salsa. Like, I, my wife has a a recipe. It's not mine, I'm not going to lie. I've made it once, maybe twice. Um, My wife has this recipe for salsa, and it's so good. It's my favorite salsa. And here's the thing, there's a debate, like what kind of tomatoes, you get the tomatoes, tomato paste, you get cilantro, you got some onions, you got some jalapenos, maybe throw some avocado, depending on it, put a little lime juice, maybe a little sugar, salt, pepper, right, garlic, you get it all in there, you blend it up, it's delicious, amazing salsa, and then you get Hava chips, my favorite chip, Hava chips with a little bit of soy, you know what I'm talking about? Do you have any Hava chips fans in the room, you know what I'm talking about? And, and, then, and then you feast, and I don't know about you, serving sizes with salsa and chips, Whatever it is, I'm way over. Not keto, by far. I'll eat a whole bag without even trying. It's the best salsa. What I can do is say, hey, salsa is so good. Check out the ingredients. Let's put it on the screen. Put the ingredients on the screen. Talk about it one day. One day you'll taste the salsa when you die. <coughs> it's the best salsa. Kingdom it's like the It's like the chips at Ola... You know, the seasoned chips, the whole lot, or it's like, it's like when Chipotle used to salt their chips. <clears throat> they changed recipes. I don't know. It's like the McDonald's fries, right? They stop making good fries, and they, the chips aren't as salty. My point is, <laughs> the church talks about Jesus like I just talked about salsa, when it's designed to be, hey, come and feast. Try it for yourself. Or it's like a song. It's like trying to describe a song to somebody that's never heard the song, right? We talk about the lyrics. We've mastered the, the genre. We've taught classes on it, but we haven't. We try to tell what the song. Let me, let me just demonstrate it. Can we? Your, your time's up. Um, you crushed it. <coughs> well, we have an essay, so this will be helpful. Thank you. You're, it's awesome. The more the better. I'm you crushed it. You're, yeah. I, oh, look at this. Holy moly. Um, all right. Let me get the other one. Any long-distance calls over there, Amanda? Um, Am I coughing? Are you annoyed by my cough? It's just going to make a lot of noise, and I'll choke. I can't, I can't, I don't, this every Sunday. You need a cough drop. I'm sorry if I'm coughing, guys. It's in my my throat. It's not going to help until I get done. Um, And then I'll take the cough drop. All right, it's like trying to, tell me when you know um, what song, oh, did I give you the right song? Tell me. Okay, good. Okay. It was the other one, right? Yeah. We'll find out. <laughs> All right. Hey, raise your hand when you know what song we're talking about, okay? It's like trying like, the kingdom of God is like trying to describe a song to somebody. Ready? Uh, be commune is, is what it says with God in nature. It's the be or commune with God in nature. This song is nature y, like an enchanted forest sounds. I love it. Watery sounds um, uh, made with chimes. Um, It's relaxed, but in you, um, something in. Invited in, but you're invited in. Okay, this is so great, right? This is what it's like reading Greek. And worship, just raise your hand while you're invited in. It's like harmony. It's like when a relationship, things and peace just happens. It might look like... um, like anything is there, it's beautiful. It's just it just keeps going on, but it's 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 uh, it, it's like chaos and intense. And still you're like what? And <laughs> and there's like peace. There's this calm at the end. I'll read first service. It's like this song. It's soft off, It starts off light and beat and then it progresses with the, up- the upbeat vibe. The artist starts off with a sad and overwhelming moment in life, and then he finds hope. This sounds like an Indian relaxing song. Okay, this is from the, the, uh, my brother in the front row. It says, uh, are there two pages? Okay, all right. I love it, ready? It's like astronauts in space doing their work. It's like a mystery of lights. Shadows moving through the uh, ethereal um, way. They see and are captivated. It's like a ghost-like being that are performing cosmic-like wonders. This is the best. (laughs) More fantasy involved than northern lights. Oh, you're a poet, bro. Time was revealed, shown in a glowing ball. And there were, oh my gosh. And then then it opened up the show, uh, the shortness compared with reality. Um, The sky was then filled with thousands of these little ghosts of light. All of space was filled with the being of brightness. The being, dude, uh, yeah, the being fade and diminish into twinkles and fade away. And they reveal humans in space that were once alone and and the normal that they once knew. Um, Okay. Um, Lastly, uh, sorry for my cough, guys. Uh, Now I'm aware of how often it's happening. The soft ambient feeling of the song is like for the first two thirds and then two thirds in it feels like metal rock. It sounds like waves of songs. Uh, it sounds like Linkin Park. Um, <laughs> in a previous, previous sermon, someone said there's a part in the song that sounds like um, electric rain. See, this is it. How many of you know the song? How is the world going to know? But let's hear the song. And maybe the words that we're so familiar with may provide greater meaning and power as we experience what God intends. Let's let's listen to the song. Starts off with ambient white noise. The song has a light and soft beat. It's like you're communing with God in an enchanted forest. (laughs) It's relaxed, but invited in. A girl starts to softly sing in the background. Kinda sounds like a song you would play after a war scene. (laughs) That was first. There's like a ghost being performing cosmic like wonders. (laughs) Astronauts in space doing their work. Do you hear it? Do you see it? time was revealed in a glowing ball. I can <laughs> I hit the jackpot on illustrations. <laughs> you see, oh, well, let's keep the song going. Here's my point about all of this. When the gospel writers talk about the gospel, they don't talk about Jesus like something that you study. He was somebody they encountered, right? In 1 John chapter 1, in the message, the Apostle John says this. Listen to this. From the very first day we were there, taking it all in, we heard it with our ears. We saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. He's referring to Jesus. Now, we're telling you in the most sober prose, that what we witnessed was the incredibly this, the infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. The experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And our motive for writing is simply this, we want you to enjoy this too. Followers of Jesus talked about a Jesus they they encountered. And I have to say, I'm here because of an encounter with Jesus. Not because of the scriptures, although that's part of it. Not because of just the church gathering, that's part of it. I'm here because Jesus transformed my life. I could go on and tell you about the experience I had when he took a broken, insecure, self-hating kid and redeemed his story. He took away self-hatred. He took away anxiety and depression He took away things that I couldn't imagine because he's here and available now for you. I can tell you about the time my friend encountered Jesus in my living room and he was rolling around crying out to God as God healed his father wounds, cried out in a different language. It was so weird. It was remarkable. It was a sign and wonder. I can tell you about that time when my kid was eight months old and needed surgery, went to the pre-op appointment, And the doctor said, he doesn't need the surgery anymore. I can tell you about the time when my wife was going through postpartum depression and anxiety. Friends came from Yorba Linda to pray every week for her for just 30 minutes. And there was one moment where a word of knowledge about a hippie dress broke the kingdom life in and healed us from a season of dark depression and anxiety. I can tell you all about these things, about renewed marriages. I can tell you about the guy that came back to Jesus last week. I can tell you about all of that. But at some point, you have to experience it for yourself. It's like a song that you'd play after a war. It's like cosmic, it's it's like electric rain. Tell me if you feel electric rain. You see, you can, you can turn it down, keep it on for a moment. You see, I don't want to mix words. I don't want to mess around. The reason the world's suffering right now is the church is not being the church. We've preached the wrong gospel. We've made Jesus in our own image. We've made him an accessory, an addition. And the reality is if you follow the message of Jesus, you have to step in. The last thing I want to say about the gospel is point number three, is that the gospel requires a response. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You have two decisions. You either accept the gospel or you reject it. The idea of adding Jesus onto your life like an accessory is also rejecting Jesus as Lord. So it's one of the two. You accept or you reject. What do you do to accept Jesus? Well, Jesus tells you, repent and believe. Now, you may think that sounds like a bunch of spiritual words. Yeah, it has become spiritual. There are spiritual meanings. Repentance, it means missing the mark. I'm sorry, sin means missing the mark and repentance means turning from sin, but it also in the Greek means to change one's mind. It means you were thinking one way and now you've got to think a different way. In the Hebrew, it means to change directions. You were going this way and now you go a different way. But you put that together with belief and it has so many implications. We miss it because we read it with our, our Greek influence and our gospel of salvation idea that we've got to have a transa- transaction. We think that belief is just believing in a subject like I believe in that chair being right there. That's not what belief means. Belief means putting your trust living your life. A better translation is placing your allegiance to Jesus. And so when you put these words together in the first century, it is not a spiritual awakening. It is a call to revolution. It is an invitation to lay down the way you think the world works and follow this new way. If God is king, you lay down your, your rights to have it your way, and you follow Jesus as your king. And so How do I know this? Well, in the first century, Flavius Josephus, the Jewish historian, who was around around 66 AD, who worked with the Romans, even though he was Jewish, to convince the Jewish people to stop revolting against the Romans, okay? And he wrote an autobiography. It's outside of the Bible, but it's used as a historical document of what happened after the time of Jesus. In his autobiography, he writes this. His task, as he described it in his autobiography, was to persuade that hot-headed Galileans to stop their mad rush into revolt against Rome and trust him and the other Jerusalem aristocrats to work out a better modus vivendi. So when he confronted the rebel leaders, he says that what he told him, um, that what he told him to give up his own agenda and trust him, Josephus instead, um, sorry, trust Josephus instead. And the word he uses are remarkably familiar to readers of the Gospels. He told the leader to repent and believe in him. And it's the same Greek phrase that's used in the Gospels. Josephus was not telling these Jewish rebels to give up sinning and have a religious experience. Josephus was telling these radicals, these rebels, to give up their nationalistic vision for war and trust his new way. When Jesus says repent and believe, he is inviting his followers to give up their way of life and trust his way to let go of the way you think the world works and join his revolution. And some of you are gonna get it and some of you aren't. It's for those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. All I wanna say to you is that, is this. The gospel is an announcement. It's an invitation to experience life the way it was intended to be in the first place. God's abundant life here now. And the gospel requires a response. So you have a choice. You either accept this as the true message of Jesus or you reject it. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that if you acknowledge me before others, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Ouch. So the question is have you accepted the Gospel? How do you answer that? Real simple. And then we're going to pray. Is Jesus Lord? of your life okay hold on let me go deeper is God in charge of your life the only response is absolute surrender is God in charge or are you is God in charge of your money is God in charge of your mind Is God in charge of your values, your decision-making? Is God in charge of your marriage? Is God in charge of your parenting? Is God in charge of how you interact with your roommates? Is God in charge of your work? Is God in charge of your schedule? Is God in charge of life? If not, one response. Repent and believe, Because it's really good news. Amen? All right, let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this message from Garden Church. To find out more about our community and to find resources to help you in your spiritual journey, just visit garden.church.